And this is week 93 of the Big Book Study. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the, Har the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer sessions which follows will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat function. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all time if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We will also post the link the previous week and the seven tradition in the chat function. And I will now turn you over to Jay. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you very, very much. Thank you all for making this meeting possible. I just want to let you know that I appreciate everybody who is of service. Uh, I know that some of you do the treasury. I know some of you keep the Zoom thing going. Some of you handle the questions and answers. You guys are awesome. We are at April the 9th, 2022, look at that already, week 93 of the Zoom. I remember when this first started, it was in person at the coffee plantation in Scottsdale. And then people were calling me and saying, I wanna hear what you have to say. So we patched them up with the phone and then the pandemic hit and oh, everybody was on the phone and then we moved it to Zoom and oh my God, look at how far God has carried us. This is really, really amazing. Just a couple of housekeeping things I wanna remind you guys of. The uh, first weekend of June and those exact date, that exact date will be June the 4th, which is that Saturday. June the 4th, we will not be meeting. So the third, fourth, and fifth, I am going to go to Culver City, California, which is in Los Angeles. And we're going to be doing a live big book weekend like we have not done in over two years. And I'm really looking forward to doing this because we have not been together for over two years. And I'm hoping that if you are in Southern California or if it is possible for you to come down there that you will join us. I'm going to come in a couple of days early. Let's have some fun. Let's get let's get the the ashes of this darn pandemic out of our shoes and out of our hats and let's just have some fun. If you can make it, I hope to see you there in Los Angeles, California, Culver City, California, the first Friday night, Saturday and Sunday of June. Hope you can make it. Now, before I say one more word, I also want to recognize something because it's too special not to recognize. Tomorrow is April the 10th. And on this date, April the 10th, 1939, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was published. And there were 4,630 copies originally printed. I have one of those first edition, first printing books, one of those first edition, first printings. And there, the world has never been the same. April the 10th is tomorrow. So I'm hoping that tomorrow or today or both, you will just close your eyes for just a minute or pray in whatever way is, is your way of praying. And thank God for this amazing God-inspired book that has restored more alcoholics, compulsive overeaters, gamblers, love addicts, sex addicts, drug addicts, you name it, you name it. Whatever it is you're addicted to, you can find respite, you can find recovery in this God-given book one of the most important pieces of spiritual literature that has ever been published is the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm hoping that you will close your eyes for just a minute. Let's do it now for about 25, 30 seconds. And in your way, if you would just thank your God, whoever it is, whatever it is you believe in for this wonderful book. Let's take a moment of silence. Thank you very much. Thank you.
there are millions of generations of unborn addicts who don't even understand that the help is right here. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there was nowhere to go. There was no remedy. There was no AA. There was no OA. There was no book. There was nothing. And these people like us died every day, never knowing that there was a solution and that there are people who would go their whole lives thinking they were stupid, weak, undisciplined, crazy, evil, you name it, weak, you name it. And they were nothing of the kind, nothing of the kind. There is a solution. Okay. We are in the chapter, there is a solution. And one of the most important things to remember about this, this chapter is the title of the chapter, as we talked about last week, it works on a couple of different levels. There is a solution. Isn't that comforting to know that there is a solution? Wouldn't it be horrible if there was not a solution? I'm so glad that there is a solution. Number one, for me, now this is just for me. For me, the title also works on the level of there is a solution, which makes my life so much easier. You know, I'm not all that bright. I'm not the sharpest bulb in the chandelier. And when I have to think I'm usually at a disadvantage. This book affords me the opportunity of not thinking. It lays out a program of recovery. And if I follow that program of recovery, I can tell you from firsthand experience that I have not found it necessary to compulsively overeat in a little over 23 years and that I've lost a little over 500 pounds. And I not only have done those things, which I really didn't do any of them. God did for me what I could not do for myself. By God's grace and mercy, I sit before you alive today. But what I can tell you is I'm happy in my release. I don't sit here fighting food. I don't sit here fantasizing about what foods I wish I could eat or what foods I wish I could have. I really don't do that. Every once in a while, those thoughts will come into my head but because I'm not responsible for my first thought, but I am responsible for my second thought and I'm responsible for my first action. So it's very, very important to remember that there is a solution for me. Now, maybe for other people, there are are other solutions. Maybe for other people, they feel more comfortable working their steps or working their program in some other way. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying that would not work for me. It's just easier for me to keep things extremely, extremely simple. And we talked last week about the importance of how this chapter is to be presented. You see, this was the very first chapter of the book written after Bill's story. Bill's story was number one, but Bill's story was never intended to be in the front of the book. It was intended to lead off the story section in the back of the book. And the original intent was no matter what step or what concept they were going to introduce, they would intersperse stories that lead into that chapter that illustrate beautifully that concept. But Tom Uzzle was the editor of the big book. The big book was edited by a guy named Tom Uzzle and a woman by the name of Janet Blair. And they edited the book. Janet edited the text, Uzzle and edited the content of it. And he moved Bill's story to the front part of the book because he wanted us to have an identification. But the way that this chapter, there is a solution, is presented is extremely important because you have to remember that if they listened to everybody, then they would never have written it. 
the people in Ohio wanted a very religious book. They were still part of the Oxford group in the summer of 37 when this was started, when this chapter was started. They were mostly Episcopalian, but coming into the Oxford group, they were very Christian in their doctrine, very Christian in the way that they recovered. And the New York people, particularly Hank Parkhurst, he wanted a book of like a psychology book. He didn't want a religious book. He didn't want mention of God or higher power. And Jimmy Burwell was the last one to die of that original group. He didn't pass away till 1974. But Jimmy Burwell was an atheist. And Jimmy and Bill didn't get along very well. As a matter of fact, when Jimmy relapsed, when he was in New England selling uh automobile polish for honor dealers, which Hank Parkhurst had owned, uh, he got drunk up there and they didn't go help him because they were so sick and tired of his atheistic uh, rantings that Bill Wilson and them, they didn't lift a finger to go help him because they said it serves him right. It serves him right. Had it been anybody else, they would have been on the next train to Boston, but they didn't help him. So how would the book be presented? And thank God for the influence of William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience. And in the book by William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience, we have a more egalitarian view of spirituality rather than religion. There were four books that were heavily influential in the writing of the big book. Those four books were the book of James, New Testament, The Common Sense of Drinking by Peabody, William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience, and The Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. So we have the heavy influence of William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience in this chapter, which I believe was God-given so that the chapter would be palatable by everybody. It's, nor, it's neither a psychological book, nor is it a book that's heavily Christian in its doctrine. It's a book that is palatable by all religions and all people. And so we have the perfect blend of mention of spirituality and no mention of heavy Christian doctrine or heavy psychological doctrine. So William James is somebody that we can thank for that. And that's also why we have the stories in the back of the book, because William James was a psychologist. He did a series of lectures at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland in 1901. And in 1902 and 1903, they amassed a collection of these lectures. And in 1903, the book, the Varieties of Religious Experience was published. It's a tedious read, very tedious read. But if you can get through the first few of them without jumping out the window, what it is is a collection of stories of people who met various catastrophes. See if this sounds like anything you're familiar with. What they were like, what happened to them, and what they're like now. I hope that sounds familiar. If it doesn't, please identify yourself as a newcomer when we go to questions and answers. But it's what you were like, what happened, and what you're like now. And William James presented this God as a spiritual God, not necessarily one way or the other. And it is his influence that really made the difference in how there is a solution would be presented. Very, very important. And I like pointing that stuff out to you because these are things that people believe that are false. Here's the thing people believe. Bill met Bob in Akron, Ohio on Mother's Day, 1935, and the big book squirted out of one ear and the fellowship squirted out of the other ear. Nothing could be further from the truth. The book, the fellowship, the program that we have today was a, a composite it was really a, a mixture of different influences from within and without the fellowship of AA. So we have a lot of people to be thankful for, but please don't subscribe to this idea, which is completely false, that Bill met Bob and out of their noses came a book and a fellowship and a meeting list and a series of 
other literature it, that it did not happen that way at all. Not even close, not even close. The Akron people were not on board with this book being written for a long time. They thought it was just some money-making scheme and they weren't on board with it, a lot of them. And the idea that they were gonna write a book made them suspicious that Bill Wilson and Hank Parkers were gonna use it as a fundraiser and make money that they were gonna put in their pockets. And so there was a lot of controversy, but let's deal with what we have instead of going to down that road. Maybe we'll go down that road another time, but it's a road worth going down, just not today. Okay, we're looking at chapter two, there is a solution. And we're looking at the vital importance of the fellowship. Now, yes, I can hear some of you saying, but Harlan, I can't get sober. I can't get abstinent and recover just on the fellowship. You're right, you can't, nor can I, I can't either. But the fellowship gives me a lot of comfort. First of all, if there was no fellowship, I wouldn't have anybody to sponsor and there'd be nobody to sponsor me. But more important than that, I would have no identification because like you, and I'm gonna assume, you know what they say when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. I'm gonna assume I'm not alone here that there are many of us today here this morning that believed that the way I ate and the way I thought about food and the fears, the insecurities, the horrible pain, the isolation, the asexual existence, the, the lack of being able to dream dreams, the lack of being able to live a life that resembled normal was secret and unique unto me. And one of the things I learned from one of my heroes, I'm gonna let you in on somebody that's one of my heroes, but don't tell anybody. Clancy Immeslin is one of my heroes. And Clancy passed away a few years ago, but he left an indelible mark on me. I've listened to every one of his podcasts. I've met him twice at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club, and I'm a devotee of Clancy. And this is what he believes, and I believe it too, that our egos set us apart as being worse than or better than other people. And what he said to me at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club was, remember the ego. It'll make me worse than everybody or better than everybody, but never the same as everybody. And one of the beautiful things about fellowship is I start to get a picture that even though I had my hell and you had your hell, and maybe they're not the same. If you scratch the surface of any one of us, you'll find the rest of us. What do I mean by that? We are all the same. We may be different genders. We may be different races. We may be different religions, or we may have different preferences of certain things, but we are very much the same very much the same. And this puts me in touch with it. And that is a very comforting thought is that we are, we are the same, very much the same. And I hope, I hope that um, this chapter comes alive a little bit more for you as the result of what we've been talking about. Let's continue in the chapter. We're on page 18. And while you're getting to page 18, and we're going to look for, but the ex-problem drinker, we're going to start with that. I want to remind you that at the top of 18, he says that this is an illness that we have come to believe in an illness involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. And who's the one that gives us this information? It was Dr. Silkworth. He was also one of the people extremely instrumental in everything that we're about to do. Dare I say this, without Dr. Silkworth, there's no book, there's no program, because nothing would make sense. Without Silky, nothing would make any sense at all whatsoever, because he teaches us so much about the nature of what this is. And he teaches us that it is an illness. It's not a moral issue. It's not an issue of lack of discipline. It's not an issue of weak will or character flaws. It is an issue of that this is an illness of the mind 
and an illness of the body. My belief is that as much as anybody could be, Dr. William Duncan Silkworth is one of the founding fathers of Alcoholics Anonymous. I will always believe that. Without the doctor's opinion, there's nothing, nothing would make any sense at all whatsoever. Okay, let's go to page 18. It's in italics, which cost them extra money that they really didn't have. So let's pay attention to this paragraph here. It must be pretty important if they paid the money to have it italicized. But the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, what solution? The solution that's in this book, who is properly armed with facts about himself. What facts are we armed about ourselves? That we have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. That we have a physical component to this. Remember, Silkworth tells us any description of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Okay, keep that in mind, very important. Can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. And there were doctors and rabbis, and there were people who were friends with my parents, and there were teachers at my school, and there were the adult parents of my friends, and every one of them has been pronouncing me dead since about 1965, 64, when I turned 10. They have been pronouncing me dead. They have been telling me I'm not going to live long. And what they didn't know is I prayed they were right at the time. I didn't want to live. I saw no reason to live. I saw no purpose to my life. All I knew is I couldn't live with the food and I couldn't live without the food. So what is the point? And I had tried my hardest to use willpower to diet. And then what happened was you guys came along. And even though at first I resisted you because you didn't look like you knew what you were talking about, a lot of you. You were thinner than me by hundreds of pounds. You had had sex. You had been on dates. You had been around the block. You had money. You were this, you were that. And I didn't let in the information that you were giving me because my ego wouldn't let it in. And I have to really keep my ego in check every day by working the steps and helping others because I have a destructive, demonic ego. And what I learned when I lowered my craziness enough, I lowered my Mishigas enough, Mishigas is insanity. When I lowered my Mishigas enough and I let in what you were saying, someone who looks like any of you spoke and understood the language of the heart and that there was something that you knew didn't think, you didn't read it in a book, you didn't see it in a movie, you knew things that I believed were secret unto me. And you opened me up and I transformed between being a person of lies and secrets. I tried to stay ahead of you, telling you what you wanted to hear, that I'm weak, that I'm stupid. Now I see the light. You're right. I shouldn't eat corn dogs. I should eat carrots like my friend Bugs Bunny right behind me. He's uh, ch chomping on that carrot and saying, uh, what's up, doc? So I told you what you wanted to hear. And I'm not stupid. I figured out very, very cleverly what it is you wanted me to say. And I showed my contrition for being alive. And I told you how stupid I had been. And I promised you with a straight face that I would never eat pizza again. But what I didn't tell you is on the way home from where we were together, I would be ordering a pizza and I would get a gallon of ice cream and I would get a bunch of Rolos and chocolate turtles and raisinets and snow caps and throw them in the ice cream and make myself what I called a Harlan Sunday. And that's how I did it, see? So the bottom line is, who was I hurting? You? Not you, but them? No, I was hurting myself. But I was so enraged. 
I was so enraged at what somebody very wise told me. His name was Tom. And he told me this in Chicago on a freezing cold February afternoon. He said to me, you've been tantruming with a knife and a fork all your life. You have been raging back against society because they will not accept you. Why don't you accept you that you are different, that you're right, and you don't have to prove it to them. You just need to prove it to yourself and just recover, not because they're telling you to recover, but because you have only one life. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. We don't get to come back and do it again. I don't get to come back and say, ha, you guys that made fun of me, which is a Jewish curse. If you don't know what it means, I'm not going to translate that for you. But the bottom line is, is that I don't get to come back and thumb my nose at these people. I'll be dead. And I can either die with the disease or die from the disease. And that was my choice. I can die with the disease by working the program. I can die from the disease by eating the food. And the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous for the last many, many years has given me a comfort, has given me a place to go like I've never had before in my life. I do not have brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, wives. My daughter and I are, are not on speaking terms. I wish we were, there's nothing I can do, but I come here and I'm home. Maybe you're living in a place that's thousands of miles away from me, like Maria, my friend Maria, my friend Johan, my friend whoever. You live thousands and thousands of miles away. Maybe you're meeting me at Peter Jungle after this is over and you live here in Scottsdale or in Phoenix. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter anything, whether you're male, female, tall, short. I need your story. I need your shoulder to cry on. And I need you to cry on mine when things get tough. And I will be there for you. You have been there for me. I will be there for you. When I was getting divorced, it was a Sunday, May 10th, I believe it was. My wife came home May 10th, 2010, I believe was a Sunday. Maybe I'm wrong. But what did I do after she told me she was involved with another man? and that she has never been this in love in her life. And he makes more money than I do. And he doesn't work for himself like I do. There's no uncertainty about the pay. She's found what she's always been looking for and she's going to get a divorce. What did I do? I got my ass to a meeting with tears in my eyes. My friend, Catherine picked me up from, in, she lives in Scottsdale too. She picked me up in her van and she took me to the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club that night, and I went to the meeting. When things were not good in my life, or when things were very good in my life, I leaned into the fellowship. If you haven't done that yet, it'll be one of the biggest saving graces of your life. These people who you see around you on just faces like Hollywood Squares, they are people who will care about you. The only thing they ask in return is an honest effort. And the only thing they care about in return is that you pass it on to the next newcomer or someone that's on the struggle bus. They ask nothing of you. Don't be afraid of us. We need you as much as you need us. Let's continue. I'm at the bottom of 18. See, I get very passionate about this chapter. This is one of the chapters I get very passionate about. I haven't found any that I don't get passionate about. If I do, I will bring it out to your attention. That the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty, that he obviously knows what he is talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect, that he is a man with a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than now, nothing, whatever, except the sincere desire to be helpful, that there are no fees to pay, no axes to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. These are the conditions we have found most effective after such an approach. 
many of us take up their beds and walk again. There's nothing to sign. You don't have to give a nickel. You do not have to contribute. If you do not want to contribute, please don't. If you can't or you don't want to, don't. You are welcome here every week, whether you contribute monetarily or you do not. Now, when it comes to the conventions, the retreats, yes, there's going to be a fee, but you can always work something out on the barter system with one of them. Now, there's going to be the OA birthday, hopefully this year, and uh, we're going to have hopefully a, 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 a convention for a vision for you. I don't know anything, so don't ask me in the Q&A, when is the vision or when's the birthday? I know nothing. All I know is that Susan is trying the best she can to make the birthday a hybrid, I believe. That means it's gonna be both online and in person. And if it's in person, I will definitely be there in person. Unless I'm dead, I will definitely be there in person. I'm not gonna miss it. I look forward to it. Now we haven't had it for a number of years. And uh, I know they come from as far away as Dublin, Georgia, Dublin, Ireland, uh, Stockholm, Sweden. God, we're going to just have a raucous time. Be there or be square. I say that to you with the, the sincerest, sincerest invitation. Do not miss these things. Do not miss them. There are charges for this, but if you absolutely cannot pay, you can work something out where you'll do service and they'll let you come in on a scholarship most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, if you honestly say to the organizer, hey, I'm up against it, I can't pay, what can I do in terms of service and earn my way into the convention, they will usually work something out with you if you're forthright and you approach it, don't approach them the morning of the thing, you know, or the day of the thing, approach them right away and say, here, here's, I'm lacking the funds, I want to help they'll usually let you and there won't be a problem. There's nothing to buy. I'm not selling you anything. At the end of this presentation today, I'm not going to be asking you if you want to buy my pills or buy my potions or buy my book or visit my website. I don't have any of those things. And, 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 and see, this is big because all my business life I'm either selling you or you're selling me. You want me to buy something from you or I want you to buy something from me. I'm not selling anything here. You're not selling anything here. What a beautifully emancipating environment that we're not here to sell anything to anybody. Isn't that fantastic? Let's continue. I'm at the top of 19. None of us makes a sole vocation of this work, nor do we think its effectiveness would be increased if we did. Now, before we go to the next sentence, which is key, we're going to talk about that next sentence for quite a while. Remember, this: we don't live to recover. We recover to live. This cannot, should not be your sole vocation. Is it something that's extremely important to me? Yes. Is it something that's extremely big in my life? Yes. Uh, the other day, uh, yesterday, not the other day, yesterday I was having a text conversation with somebody and we were talking about finding someone, you know, that significant someone. And man, I think it would be weird as anything for me to be with somebody that's not part of this way of life because it's so colossal in my life. I think it would be very strange for me to date someone or to be with somebody that knew nothing of this. I think it would be really weird. But this is a huge part of my life, but it cannot be my entire life. It cannot be my entire existence. I have other friends. I have other interests. I love the Ducks. I love the Cubs. White Sox, not so much. But the bottom line is, I, I, if the Cubs can't win, I hope the White Sox do, because it's good for the city. It's good for the vendors, which I was for years. It's good for the city of Chicago. And if somebody's going to win in the American League, I hope it's the White Sox. I know I'm not one of these guys that hates the White Sox just because I love the Cubs. And I'm a North Sider. I was born and raised on the North side of Chicago. And um, the bottom line is, if somebody's going to win in the American League, let it be Tony LaRussa and the guys over there at Sox Park. Okay. We feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. Now I'm going to say something to you 
that some of you are going to freak out. I wish I could see all your faces because I'm going to say something to you that's very different from what your sponsor says. Are you ready? Here it comes. Abstinence is not the most important thing in my life. Maybe it is for you. I don't know. It's not the most important thing in my life without exception. And I hear this every day. Abstinence is the most important thing in my life. Abstinence is the, if that's the case, you're dieting. The most important thing in my life without exception is my relationship with God or who I choose to call God a power greater than myself. The main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And it says, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning, a beginning of what? Let's find out together. A much more important demonstration of our principles. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. I know there's people out there. They say the principle of this is hope and the principle of this is honesty. And though that's great. If somebody's got that much free time on their hands, God bless them. I'm not knocking that. That's fun. That's that's a lot of fun. What's the principle of step two? What's the principle of step seven? Whatever. Okay. When they're talking about the principles, they're talking about the steps. So a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. What are we taught? Practice these principles in all of our affairs to live a life that is sane rather than insane. Let's talk about step two for just a minute here. Now, this, is, this chapter is all about step one, but we're gonna talk about step two because it bears talking about right here. Let's take a look at the wording of step two, okay? It says, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. It doesn't say came to believe that God could restore me to sobriety. It doesn't say came to believe that God could restore me to abstinence, does it? Because abstinence and sobriety have a much lower ceiling than sanity. Sanity is a much more all-encompassing concept. If I'm sane in my relationships, then I treat people without lying to them. I treat people as I would want to be treated. I do not just tell them what they want to hear. I am myself. Now that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit and argue with you about everything. No, 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 no. I haven't got that kind of energy or keach. Keach is a Yiddish word for energy. I don't have that kind of keach. I'm not going to sit and argue with you. But here's what I will do. I will treat you with the respect you deserve by being who I am. Maybe you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, or maybe you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. I will politely express who I am and I will politely say, I agree or I disagree. I see it differently. I don't have to be distasteful about it. I don't have to be a jerk about it but I can be palatable and loving about it. What else does it mean? I pay my bills. Sane people pay their bills. It means I don't charge things or buy things that I cannot afford. Sane people don't do that. It also means I don't seek out satisfaction from people that are married or that are off limits to me for one reason or another. Sane people don't do that. It means that to the best of my ability, I hold God's hand and I act sanely and normally in most situations. Yes, I have bad days. Yes, I make mistakes. Yes, I make mistakes. I made one last night. We were having a parking lot after our meeting and I said something to somebody that really kind of bothered me that I said it. And I was wrong and it just bugged the crap out of me. But I apologize. There's nothing more I can do, but I don't like doing that. And this is a very dear person. This is a person who attends our meetings all the time. I don't know if she's here now or not. I haven't got the 
wherewithal to go scroll through here. I don't know. But the bottom line is, is that I am sane in my relationships and I can say words I never knew the meaning of before. Like, I'm very sorry. I was wrong. You were right. I'm very sorry. Those words are very foreign to me. The old adage is if a Jewish husband is in the middle of the forest and, and, and he is speaking, is he still wrong? We don't know, but we assume he's wrong. So the bottom line, nobody's laughing. Uh, my jokes are just falling flat today. I don't know what the hell. <sighs> All right. Anyway, the bottom line is I had my fourth COVID shot yesterday. And for whatever reason, this time I'm a little under the weather. And I don't know why, but the other ones, I didn't have any reaction at all. Okay, we prep uh, principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. All of us spend much of our spare time in the sort of effort we are going to describe. What effort is that? Sponsorship, helping others. This is why when that question comes up, whether it comes up online, whether it comes up on here on Zoom, whether it comes up in the chat, can I recover without sponsoring? Probably not. But my friend in New Jersey would say to you, my friend in South Jersey would say, if you're afraid to sponsor, you better be afraid not to sponsor. Because if you don't sponsor, you're not working the 12-step program. You're working at best an 11-step program. And the last time I checked, this is a 12-step program. So you better get your butt in gear and start helping other people. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to those, to God and the people about us. Very, very important concept. A few are fortunate enough to be so situated that they can give nearly all their time to the work. If I was retired, I would give all my time to this work. I wouldn't do much else because this is something I love doing. I'm passionate about it. I enjoy doing it and it keeps me out of the food but I still have to work and I still have, you know, render unto God what is God's, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. I have to work, I have bills to pay. Yesterday I paid my taxes, I paid my quarterlies, I paid my federal, I paid my state of Arizona taxes. You know, I did whatever I needed to do. If we keep, I'm on page 19. If we keep on the way we are going, there is little doubt that much good will result, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. Those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection that close by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. How then shall we present that which has been so freely given us? We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. What chapter talks about the problems? The problem, sorry. Doctor's opinion, Bill's story, there is a solution and more about alcoholism. Those are all about step one. I know how to say step one in Italian. I'm going to show off. Passo prima. I learned that from Barbara. Passo prima is step one in Italian. I don't know how to say any of the other ones, but I've listened to her do it like a million times. So I picked it up. Okay, we shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. This should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. Of necessity, there will have to be discussion of matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions, our attitudes, which make us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we might help meet their needs. And there was a time in my life where if you didn't think the way I thought, if you didn't believe the way I believed, if you didn't like what I liked, I thought you were scum. I thought you were filth. How dare you suck air out of the atmosphere? I like the blue Chevy and you like the red Ford off with your head. That was how my ego manifested. 
How would you like to live inside me with that? If I want what I want, or I want everybody dead, down on the ground, blow their heads off. No, that's, I can't live that way anymore and stay out of the food. I can't be dogmatic in my approach to anything, politics, the weather, sports. I cannot sit here and say, hey, if you don't like this and you don't do that, we're not going to be friends. I can't do that. I have friends that are Democrats. I have friends that are Republicans. I have friends that drive Mercedes. I have friends that drive Chevrolet or Ford or God knows what. It's all good. I drive a Honda. It's all good. I got a duck shirt on today. Whatever. It's, it's, it's a nice tea. I like this t-shirt because it's cotton. But the bottom line is I can't live in that intolerance and stay out of the food. I have been approached by people when I make this statement and they're scared of it. I believe that we have underserved the African-American community. We have underserved the Hispanic community. We have underserved the Native American community. And I believe we will be better when we are more different. I believe we need to promote and propagate the different communities entering into our fellowship so that they too can have a home and say, I'm aware that I am whatever or not aware, but as long as I'm a compulsive overeater, I am welcome here. And that's where we need to be. We will be better when we're different. And I've had people come up to me, Boston, Massachusetts, a number of years ago. I got up there and I said these things. Two people, not one, two people, they wanted to fight with me about it. And I said, you are sick. I said, in my opinion, you're sick, but I respect your right to say what you're saying. I can't judge these people. I can't, you know, I can't change anybody. And I don't want to. I don't want to. That's the difference. You see, the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps is not just about my relationship with food. The spiritual awakening as the result of the steps is about my relationship with the world around me and the people in it. There are always going to be people that are going to piss me off. There are things that are going to piss me off. I still don't like it when somebody says blood is thicker than water because I'm already left out. I still bristle when people say, oh, there's a lid for every pot. I'm not so sure about that. I still bristle with antagonism when you hear on TV and on the radio how Easter and Passover and this are family holidays. I bristle at that. I don't have a family. I'll be with friends, but I don't have a family. So there are still things that'll kind of sandpaper grit me off on that stuff. But I have to work through step 10. I have to work my way through that stuff. Because the world is not going to change. What did Tom say to me that February day when it was like 87,000 below zero and snow up to your eyeballs? He said, the world is not going to change. You have to accept it and stop raging against the world with a knife and a fork. Stop it. You're losing the battle. You're dying. You are not going to change the world. Stop trying. And he was 100% correct. I hope I'm making sense because my head is a little stuffed up. Page 20 at the top. You may already have asked yourself why it is that all of us became so very ill from drinking. Notice he doesn't say that all of us were very weak, so we drank. Notice he doesn't say all of us lacked character, so we drank. He says we became ill from drinking because alcohol in an alcoholic is an allergic substance. French fries, onion rings, ice cream, chocolate turtles, pizza is an allergic substance for me. It changes my biology and it sets me up with an actual physical craving for more of the same. 
when I go out to eat with my friends, not the ones necessarily I'm going out to eat with here in, in about 40 minutes, but when I go out to eat with my normal friends, <clears throat> they very seldom finish their meal. They eat to a point of satisfaction and they are done. And once they're done, they are done. I, the more I eat, if it's an allergic substance, I don't order or consume allergic substances. But if I were to consume, say, Doritos, or we went to a Mexican restaurant and I ordered the chips, you know, I started eating the chips. The more of them I eat, the more I'm going to want. The more I want, the more I eat, the more I eat, the more I want. And it's just endless. The dairy is, uh, is an allergic substance for me. It may not be for you. Please, in the question and answers, don't say I eat dairy with safety. I can't. Maybe you can. I'm not telling you what to eat. Don't hear me and say, oh, he thinks I shouldn't eat dairy. I never said that. I never, I can't eat it. I eat yogurt. I want to eat 80 pounds of it. I eat ice cream. I want to eat 90 pounds of it. I eat cheese, melted cheese, particularly. I want to eat 100 pounds of it. These are allergic substances in my body. So he says, ill, not weak. Doubtless you are curious to discover how and why in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body. If you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? That's a very good question to hear when you're sponsoring. I wanna hear that question. What do I have to do? That means you're on board most of the time. Now, you can follow along with me or you can follow along the pages, but I'm gonna just point out page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the thesis line of the book. The thesis line of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous reads, and I'm quoting, the real purpose of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. On the first line of this book ever written, the forward to the first edition, the second sentence in says, this is page XIII in the fourth edition, forward to the first edition, it says, second sentence in, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. Now let's go back to page 20, which is where we came from originally, page 20. It says, what do I have to do? What's the next sentence? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. Is that consistent? You bet it is. Is that the same theme getting spiraled all over the place? You bet it is. What is the purpose of this book? The purpose of this book is to answer such questions specifically. The purpose of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. The purpose of this book is to show you how we have recovered. Are they the same thing? You bet they are. They're this, exactly the same thing said differently. The book is consistent. The book is consistent. It shows a consistency within itself. This is the purpose of the book. So there's so much more than just being abstinent. There's so much more than a food plan here. And so many of us come in looking for the food plan. Just give me the food plan. Who weighs me? The woman in the red dress? If she, you, are you going to weigh me, honey? Okay, who do I pay? That's what we're asking. We come in here, right? I think one of the people that comes to our meeting regularly on A Vision for You has mentioned that they were lecturers for one of the big pay and ways. Maybe there's more than one person that has said that. I think there's actually more than one. One in Massachusetts, one in New Jersey, and I think there's another one. They were all lecturers from the big pay and way. But they weren't abstinent when they were lecturing most of the time. 
or they were half cuckoo. They were half cuckoo because they were just dieting with group support. There's more to this than a food plan. Let's finish this paragraph. This is one of the most important paragraphs, but it's short. We shall tell you what we have done. Stop right there. We shall tell you what we have done. This is the influence of Dr. Howard of New Jersey, the noted psychiatrist. He said to Bill Wilson, you cannot write an imperative book. You must make it declarative. What is the difference between imperative? Imperative is you do this and you do that. You say this and you say that. And he convinced Bill that we are immature, sensitive rebels. We are immature, sensitive rebels. And that we will not respond to being told what to do. So he changed it reluctantly to, we shall tell you what we have done. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll tell you what I've done when I was in your situation, but I'm not going to tell you what to do because nothing's going to chase you away faster. Before going into a detailed discussion, it may be well to summarize some points as we have seen them. How many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him. But there he is all lit up again. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. You understand why I eat a whole thing of Oreo cookies, but my other friends can't imagine why. I've told you this story. I'll tell you this again. This is my friends and their Girl Scout cookies. They buy a box of Thin Mints in February. Every Memorial Day, this Memorial Day too, they have a huge party at their house. They haven't had it for the last two years, but they're having it this year. Huge party. Everybody gets to see the giant turtle in the backyard. And her name is Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And she's a giant turtle and she's huge and kids can ride on her and so on, whatever. And we have a good time and they open up, one will say to the other, the two married people, should we open the Girl Scout cookies? And the other one will say, yeah, put them out, put them out. And about six cookies will disappear. And they put the cookies back. Now there's six cookies gone, right? Now Christmas time, they also have a big party and they bring the cookies out again. And this time about six more cookies disappear and they look at each other at the end of the party and say, we should throw these out because they're going to be selling them again in February. And that's how my friends eat Girl Scout cookies. I used to finish a box or two before I got out of the parking lot. I remember when the Girl Scouts used to deliver the cookies to your house. That was and I was very careful not to order too many cookies from the same Girl Scouts because I didn't want them to know I was a, a crazy person when it comes to food. Okay, but these reactions, why do you need so many hamburgers or hot dogs at the Red Hot Ranch on Devon Avenue? Why do you need so many French fries? Why do you eat that? Why don't you just eat vegetables? These were reactions from people who were very, very different from me. Okay, now you and I speak the language of the heart. We can know what it's like to shit in your pants and piss in your pants and what it's like to hate yourself because of what you look like. We know that there's a recovery out there too. Okay, before I turn it over back to Maria or Sue or whoever, let's go through a couple of things. Number one, we will not be here on the 4th of June because I'm going to Southern California. You are invited to join us in Southern California. You are more than welcome. You just got to coordinate that through Susan G. 
uh, and we're not going to be here that day. I'll be down there. Um, if you asked a question last week, please step back, step back, and let the people who did not ask a question come forward and ask their question. Now, no math, no math, and no um, no food questions, please. It is a waste of time. One reminder to tonight is a glorious